Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, when she was 17 years old, she was scouted at a music concert in Leeds, and that was her way out. A modeling agent asked her if she was interested. She got to London. She never looked back. Her real dream always to be an actress, and that modeling moment afforded her classes and coaching and a way to her dream of being an actress, and now we see her weekly on the series Mayor of Kingstown, and she's phenomenal. What a journey, and you're going to get to hear all about it in a minute. Welcome, Emma Laird, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Emma Laird. Emma was most recently recognized by Variety as one of the 10 Brits to watch in 2021, and she currently stars in the Paramount series Mayor of Kingstown opposite Jeremy Renner and Diane Wiest and a whole host of incredible performers. She is a native of Scotland, but we have her now here in the U.S. I am so thrilled to welcome Emma to the podcast. Hello. Welcome to Little Known Facts. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I am so thrilled. Um, for for listeners at home, Emma and I are having a crazy thing where she can see me, but I can't see her. And that seems terribly unfair. Um, but I have gotten to see you episode after episode crush it in Mayor of Kingstown. And so congratulations on really astonishingly beautiful, complex, painful work. Uh, in in your premiere series it's pretty extraordinary thank you yeah it's um I'm trying not to be so harsh on myself because I guess the comparison is alongside a a wonderful actor (laughs) Jeremy Renner who's done it for x amount of years and this is my first thing and so I guess I'm trying to remember that and go easy on myself and I've kind of realized that I actually prefer performing um, rather than seeing the end product. (laughs) Yes, yes, it can be so painful, isn't it? Do you, um, I mean, other than obviously when you do ADR or looping, there are times throughout production where you are forced to look at scenes if there's some sort of technical thing that needs fixing, right? I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. part of the job. But do you watch the episodes or like how have you learned to handle what that feeling is that you're describing Mm. I I have watched the episodes because and I always will (laughs) I think everything that I do because it's so exciting and I'm so new to it I was so proud to be just a a part of this series right um and I loved the story so and I also did kind of want to critique myself (laughs) 
and it's been helpful. It's been, it's first, it was hard to kind of see scenes that I weren't happy with, but then on, on a whole, I'm, I'm proud of what I did. And, um, so yeah, of course I watched it and, um, I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm just getting used to what I thought I did in my head and how it Mm. felt on the day. And then some scenes I loved that I didn't expect to, and some scenes I don't like, (laughs) which I know it's crazy. Um, It's just, I think the hardest part as an actor is kind of letting it go to the edit bay for me (laughs) and just not having any control in post-production, but um, I am super proud of it. And I have these pinch me moments where I really don't understand time here. (laughs) So I know um, it's such a, it's such a fabulous cast. I mean, you don't have, you know, most of your scenes are with these guys on the show, but obviously I would imagine having the brilliant Diane Weiss just oh, in the the landscape of this thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I went mean, to set. I went to set one day because I was so excited to meet her. And I said to, we had five different directors, two for each, but one for each two episodes right and um and the sec- the guy in the second block called Ben Richardson who was directing those I went to set and I was like Ben I see Diane like, like come and introduce me to her and I was so scared I was terrified I'd, I'd seen her in these really kind of villainous roles and she just seemed like such a powerful which she is and strong yeah. and wonderful woman but I didn't know if she <laughs> she would be nice to me or right, if she right. knew, even know who I am and um she saw me and she was like of course Emma it's so lovely to meet you and she was really like a mother to me she she kind of had obviously read the scripts and said you know how how are you gonna cope with all of this and we'd not really shot any of the heavy stuff yet and Mm. so I didn't really know what I was in for and I was like oh it's fine I just go to set and I do the job and I'll go home I'm an actor um and she was and of course that wasn't the case when it came to shooting all the really heavy stuff I kind of uh, broke broke a little bit but she was really like a she gave me a lot of good advice and we'd be sat next to each other sometimes in makeup and she texted me uh when the show is about to come out with some really lovely things and she really kind of took care of me and you know we had a lot of people in and out on that show and a lot of people leaving to go and do the Yellowstone prequel and she was kind of one of those constants for me on the set of um really just being a wonderful woman in in um what is predominantly a man's world <laughs> you know I'm curious when you talk about sort of what it is to see yourself to remember the take on or, or or the scene on on the day and then see sort of how it translates and then of course as you described then it goes to the editor and the director and the producers and sort of they decide what the performance ultimately is going to be and you know the take you loved best might be like the back of your head for, you know, like you have no idea what they're going to use in the actual thing. But I know that you started out uh, modeling. And so I wonder, did you also feel like after you would do a shoot and you looked at the pictures, was that equally distressing in a way? Um, Um, or, Or what's the difference in terms of how you respond to your own craft or work modeling versus now yeah yeah um I think with modeling it was it was always just like an I as a kid just kind of wanted to escape my hometown and modeling provided that for me it was never something that I really loved so I would see pictures and I would you know see all these shoots and stuff but it never really interested me also I would never look at a picture and think oh how how can I improve on my next job or there's less to critique really um and it's all just kind of surface value I guess like oh how how pretty do I look (laughs) whereas with acting I just care so much about it and it really feels like I mean it is 
my entire life uh, revolves around this 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 art of of acting, and so it's very different just in that sense because. I'm watching it and it's much more exciting mm-hmm. I, is to have something tangible. And I've been working towards this for what feels like many years. And so, yeah. um, and it, it's almost like the first thing that the, in, that the industry is going to see. So I'm also, that's why I'm critiquing it and yeah, care so much about it. Whereas modeling was just kind of like, oh, I, this is how I make money. This is how I fund acting. And uh, yeah, I never really cared <laughs> much about modeling. Well, can you talk a little bit about that? Not the modeling part, but you said you grew up. So were you uh, in your bio? Obviously, it says you're a native of Scotland and now you're living in L.A. You know, I'm sure you still go home. Um, tell me about when you say like getting out of my little town and sort of a, a means to an end, as it were. Where did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about how performing came into your consciousness um who was in the house with you what was their response to the art sort of can you talk a little bit about that (laughs) yeah I grew up in this really small town actually in England called Chesterfield and I had you know I had great parents I have got three younger brothers it was never like I had a really kind of traumatic childhood I just always remember having this feeling as a kid of like life will be better when I'm an adult I just I just Mm -hmm. wasn't particularly I wasn't unhappy, but I didn't, I didn't love my childhood. I remember like I'd say to my mom, God, I hate school. And like, I had friends, I just didn't enjoy. I didn't feel, it just didn't feel like great to me. And I remember saying to my mom, like, you know, I hate school. And she was like, they're the best days of your life. And I was like, God, I fucking hope not because. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I never really knew what it was that I wanted to do as a kid, but I just knew that I just wanted to get away and that there was more for me outside of where I grew up. So when um, it says you're a native of Scotland on your bio, is that's not exactly. No, I have a lot. Half my family are Scottish. Got it. uh, My dad was born in, I don't know. I think my dad was born in Germany, actually. It might might be wrong. (laughs) But but you grew up in Chesterfield. Yes. And um, all my family are military. So my mom and dad met in the army. My brother's also in the military now. And, I kind of grew up bouncing around military uh, bases. Mm. My mom and dad would live on those. And uh, I, I like to say that like <laughs> kids would grow up kind of seeing fireworks. I'd go to like bomb disposal displays or like bomb, bomb displays where they'd be out in a field and they'd kind of detonate <laughs> these oh explosives. Wow. And they'd be like, hold this grenade. <laughs> like a de- and like a not an active grenade, obviously. <laughs> I don't think the military <laughs> would do that, give a child a grenade. But right. um, yes, it's, I, I, uh, I grew up in a, in, in a military background and, um, and so were you moving around a lot or were you on certain bases for sort of a um, significant amount of time? My dad moved around a lot. My mum mm-hmm. and our family home was always, we only kind of lived in two or three houses, I think, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, but my dad was all over the place. And so that was fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like I, I guess subconsciously I always gravitate towards the arts and like film and that kind of escapism through fiction and books and whatnot. But it's weird because I had this <laughs> memory the other day of my drama teacher who really didn't like me at school and she had kind of the favorites who were like the rich kids. So it was funny because it's like the only subject that I actually really enjoyed at school <laughs> still didn't seem like uh, they the all seemed like me. Yeah. yeah. So um, it all worked out better in, when I left and when I, um, my mum still has, I think she's proud of me, but 
they still have reservations, you know, it's still, she still kind of asked me, when am I getting a real job and what's my backup plan? And I'm like, there is not a backup plan. <laughs> it's either this or failure. <laughs> so you are such a kind of um, uh, revolutionary in your own family, oh. in terms of like the way you see the world and the way you're sort of operating in such a completely different way. Um, when were you able to sort of pivot, like get out of school um, not pursue a life in the military or pursue your education in a more traditional way? What was sort of the, and, and then this modeling thing you mentioned. So, so sort of what were the steps to kind of get to how we find you today on Mayor of Kingstown? <laughs> yeah. So it actually was modeling. I was in a okay. field when I was uh, 17. I was at a festival called Leeds Festival, which is notoriously muddy and dirty and messy and, um, I was so it's pretty a music drunk. festival. Yeah, it was a music okay. festival. I was in this field and this lovely lady came up to me and said, have you ever thought about modeling? And all my friends were, of course, just laughing and I'm getting these pictures taken. And, and then I went to London maybe two weeks later to do like a test shoot. And I moved to London when I, I think I was just turning 18. Um, so that all because of, of that moment that, that one moment saw you in a field. And, you, and you pursued it like it happened yeah I um I mean I'm, it was like obviously exciting like a 17 year old kid being told they should model you you have all these weird standards of what and you know kind of expectations of what the fashion industry is from like America's next top model which is like really not the case it was yeah. I met you know I met some wonderful people it funded my acting career. It got me out of my hometown. And I have wonderful memories from, you know, I think I did it for like six years. And, but it's also a really awful industry. There's no union. There is no, you know, there's, I, I, I kind of was good in a way because it made me really desensitized to nudity. And I think that serves in this show because yeah. <laughs> I'm naked yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you really, you know, you had to get changed in a park or in, in a room full of 30 people. And there's, this is like also like underage girls that we're talking about. And mm -hmm. I have a real problem with the fashion industry. And I wrote a big email to my agents when I left them last year. And it's just still kind of, they didn't really care about what I was saying. And it's just, um, I really resent it in many ways, as grateful as I am to be, to have, you know. What were sort of the, the bullet points of that email, sort of the things that were just still make yeah. you boil when you think about it yeah I, I I don't remember it exactly but I said I definitely gave examples of what I'd been exposed to in the industry and mm -hmm. things that they should probably fix and examples being if there's a girl who's under 18 and you're sending her to a photographer's house in Italy there needs to be a chaperone or there needs to be someone else there or the photographer needs in fact why are we even at the photographer's house particularly right. if it's a male right. it needs to be in a studio um the you know it's I I found it insane when I got publicity and we'd go to shoots and they would be with me I'm like oh my gosh I've never had I've never felt more looked after and it's just um yeah there was there's a lot of a lot of things and there's also a lot of uh sketchiness in terms of I don't know um like payments and uh it, it, it was just a very, yeah I can't remember what the email was but it was very no no very but nice. I but that's I mean you've given me such a kind of clear yeah <laughs> entree into into what pissed you off mm. And, yeah, and should it's, be changed. Um, it's, I think it made me, uh, it turned me into a pretty good feminist, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> which it just made me aware of what it is to be a woman. And, and, um, and when you go to London, right? Like it, you just turned 18, it sounds like, 
are you suddenly just put in an apartment through this agency with a bunch of other models yeah. or you, do you yeah, have yeah. friends that you already know? Or are you like I, on your own? I really, um, I didn't have friends because this was another thing like modeling gave me a very bad eating disorder for the best part of four or five years. And so like my life was just work. And so I was in London and it kind of all went by in a, in a kind of days, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. So we would go from city to city and stay in, in model apartments and rack up these huge bills from the agencies charging a fortune for the model apartments that would just go in your account. So anytime you don't money, it's like, oh, but you've got to pay all this rent. <laughs> it's, it's very sketchy. Wow, yeah. um, it was great. I mean, you know, there is that, but it, it was also, there was, there was good sides to it as well. And eventually I did meet really good friends mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I'm grateful to it, but there's, that's not to say that I don't acknowledge all the stuff that needs to change. Maybe at some point in the future, I'd like to kind of, go back to that world not to model but to kind of I don't know do a TED talk or something yeah <laughs> like, you know, reshape like, it yeah. yeah yeah and because it sounds like from what you're saying it's not just your particular experience that's a pretty normal experience oh, for yeah. many girls starting out normal. regardless they, of how high level the agency is yeah yeah they told me to lose weight uh for the best part until well until last year like I, for the past six seven years that like all I've been told is like lose weight lose weight lose weight and at the start that's what I did because I was so keen to to do it I was like yeah I'll lose weight mm-hmm. and um and then they actually told me not to, they told me to gain weight at one point because they were like oh you're not gonna work now you're too skinny and it's like oh okay um and what was really refreshing about coming onto this set was I almost predicted that you know Taylor or someone or one of the producers or I don't know who involved in the project would tell me I have to lose weight. That's all you hear about entertainment, right? Is right. you know Jennifer Lawrence saying she's always getting asked to lose weight, and it was really refreshing to actually not have any even conversation about my body prior to being cast or after right. you know after, even after being cast. Sorry, it was just uh, it felt more like I mean I would hope they were casting me because of uh, what they'd seen in the audition as opposed to what my body looked like. Um, well, maybe talk this about. Talk about uh, the audition because this is, you know, you've done some, you've done some shorts, but this is like, you went from zero to 60, as they say. Yeah. So uh... (laughs) did you tell me about the audition process for this series? Yeah, of course. So it was uh, almost this time last year, actually, it was about uh, January, February time and everything had kind of exploded. I was really fortunate to get uh, like a Netflix movie. And we confirmed that, and then I read the script for this Kingstown, which all which shot at the same time, and I kind of took a huge leap of faith. I'd qu- pretty much quit modeling, and I was kind of broke because I was paying my coach uh, in the pandemic, and you know, I I took a huge risk and and dropped this Netflix movie, and then I just kept dropping projects. Everything kept coming, which was wonderful. I got a Nolan series and then um the boys were doing a spin-off at the time last year and I just kept dropping project after project for this man who wouldn't cast me over zoom during a pandemic and a snowstorm in Texas and he was like I've got to fly you out and I was like well fly me out please because I need I really really need to confirm something I can't take any more risks yeah and, uh, it was really stressful but I was so invested in this script and uh the the kind of arc that she she has in this series and um so yeah I did a I did a self tape it came through in about January or February last year and the next day Kathy Sandrich who was casting said 
you know, we sent it to Taylor. He really loves it. He wants a phone call with you. And he gave me some notes and then to retape uh, with the notes and then a new scene. And then he liked it again. And then that was when he was like, we're not casting over Zoom. And uh, I think about two weeks later, he flew me to Texas and I had to quarantine for seven days in this hotel. And then I went to his ranch in Texas and uh, I was so nervous, man. I was a mess and uh, I just kept talking. So I did the, I did the scenes with Taylor and Kathy and Kathy's uh, assistant um, or casting associate. And after these scenes, I really got there emotionally, like in the scenes. But then after I was like, I had verbal diarrhea. I was just like, yeah, like, I really feel like I'm just like ready to go on set. And, um, you know, it feels like the right time. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I just, and then I was like drinking so much water and I like started choking on water at some point. I bet Taylor, I'm, I, I honestly thought I would, I'd fucked it up, not from the scenes, but from what I was saying after the scenes. Right. Um, and then he called me the next day and then said I'd got it and I just would I was crying all day and I was so so happy and then he was like listen what are you doing tomorrow I was like nothing I fly back in the in the evening and he was like come to my ranch I'll give you a tour and my manager was in town my manager had flown in and so me and my manager went to Taylor Sheridan's ranch the next day after I'd been cast and it was nice cuz I actually got to speak to him like a human and not like um of scared mess exactly. that I was the like, day as if they they had you know made this the tape go much faster than it's been to yeah go. Um, uh, so wait so okay okay so first <laughs> of all you know there are many people watching the show who would have no idea you're not an American and if they're not you oh, know thank you if they're not good Googlers um, or or you know just reading a lot about the show in fact there are so many people on the show. Um, in many of these shows, you know, who aren't American. Um, but tell me about working on this accent. And is that something you learned specifically for the audition for this part? Yeah. Oh, I, okay. love, I love talking about this. Um, All right, <laughs> so I really randomly just plucked this accent out of thin air for the audition. <laughs> like It wasn't something uh, you did as why. a kid. You weren't mimicking someone that no, you knew specifically. My, honestly, yeah. My stepdad still to this day kind of takes the takes the piss out of my accents because I as a kid I would do them and they would be terrible. Accents were never my thing. <laughs> but I had a really unconditional way of uh, unconventional way, sorry, of getting to uh be signed. So I had to go to America first, so I had to learn the American accent for like 6 months straight because none of my auditions were with an English accent. And anyway, so I I was pretty good with with the American and I have no idea why I chose it's a North Carolina accent. I don't know if I mean, <laughs> and so I, I chose it. And then I, when I got the part, I spoke to my dialect coach and I sent her my audition scene. And I was like, let's figure out where this girl is from. Yeah. And let's get really specific. It. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of narrowed it down to North Carolina. And then we kind of started to build a backstory together. of Her parents jobs are in the, in the script. So we kind of figured out how much income they would get each year. And then we kind of built this backstory based on, you know what house she would live in uh where she would go to school really kind of filling in all the gaps based on what wasn't in in the script you know right but yeah I just really there was I Taylor said on the phone he was like yeah she can be wherever you want her to be from and I was like okay cool let's do this accent and <laughs> I still don't know why it just felt right you know so Taylor Sheridan who is the creator of this show and and has sort of you know, he has Yellowstone. He has another show coming up. Um, 
was an actor for a long time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know him from, you know, different TV shows that he was on before. I don't even know that they realize it's the same guy who is sort of <laughs> the pivoted. Guy Sons of Monarchy. <laughs> exactly. Like he's pivoted to this whole other yeah. unbelievably successful career. Um, Crazy. Yeah. I'm wondering if because he was an actor, do you feel like there's um, a sensitivity or a way that he works that's particularly, um, I don't know, like generous in terms of what it is to be an actor as opposed to someone who just is concerned with the production values and the camera and sort of the technology of it all? Yeah. I think what's great about Taylor is that he really writes with so much depth not just for the lead or the leads it's really there he's thought about every character so in depth and he was also an acting coach um oh, that's interesting. yeah so he I think he I mean on the phone call the the, the day that he cast me he said I've never this is really just uh blowing smoke up my own ass but it was really sweet of him but I think he coached Jennifer Lawrence um a while back because he said you know I've what I saw in you is something that I've only ever seen in one other person. And that was, Mm. you know, 10 years ago with Jennifer Lawrence or something. Right. Um, right. So he really, and he, we did coach and exercise together in that room. And so he's, he's very generous. He understands, yeah, what it is to be an actor. And I just think the depth that he writes characters with is, is something really special because, you know, sometimes you might just focus on the lead or he, you could ask him any question about anything on with any of those characters and he he would just know it. Mm. He's, um, and he also had been writing this series for, for 10 years. So. Yeah, I read that, which is just an incredible thing to finally, yeah. I mean, to imagine like for him, just the idea that it finally happened. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. And he, what a lesson in believing in something and just not stopping until it happens, no matter how long it takes. It's such an yeah. inspirational, aspirational. It's, 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 he really... Um... He's, I don't understand how he's done what he's done. I mean, he's an inc- incredibly talented writer, but uh, it seems it's just his success is, it's crazy. He, he's got so many shows coming out in the next few years as well. I also don't understand how he writes as much as he does with the yeah. with, with keeping the quality there. Yeah. And so, also shooting, you know, it's not like he's writing and then can stop writing to shoot. I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so Jeremy Renner uh, is someone who, you know, certainly became a household name in the last few years and, Mm -hmm. and is probably like, I don't know, 25 years older than you, would you say Mm -hmm. something like that? Yeah, a couple. Yeah. Um, Is that something that you guys have talked about in terms of I mean, why don't we back up a little for the three people who haven't watched the show. (laughs) The mayor of Kingstown, my brief description of it is a town where everything in this town revolves around the prison. Like that's where all the employment comes from. That's where people either live in the prison or outside the prison or know someone in the prison. It's like, it's like the way LA is in acting industry. This is like, this seems to be, this seems to be the the prison equivalent of it. It really is. Um, And you are sent to this town by like a Russian mobster who, Mm -hmm. for, for what purpose? Why are you sent to Kingstown to torture Everyone I, and yourself. <laughs> I uh, so my boss Milo, who's played by the wonderful Aidan Gillen, who I just adore. He sent. It's kind of ambiguous. Like we don't really know the full story between Milo and Mike, and and what's going on there. Milo's in serving a life sentence in one of the prisons, right? And Jeremy Renner plays Mike. 
Yeah, and, right. and, he, and and Milo seems to have some kind of hold over Jeremy's character. You know, Jeremy's kind of doing his bidding for him a little bit, and you're kind of left wondering why. Right. But I get sent in as a tactic to, you know, basically sleep with Jeremy's character so that Jeremy will then do something else for Milo. We don't really know why, and that was mm-hmm. never explained to me. And I, I always look at it from the perspective of, well, my character wouldn't know why exactly. so it was, never, it was never important for me to know right. why you're I mean, doing jeremy your job and jeremy and might have had a conversation with taylor sheridan and, and they might know the secrets of it right. but um for me my character would have just been told to go somewhere and no questions were asked and i'm in this little fantasy world that i've kind of created where i'm like yeah okay i'll go here that's fine mm-hmm. i don't ask questions and um so what i would don't you really say know. uh your character would say her her job is what does she do oh she's a sex worker but like a high-end sex worker you know she um I don't think she ever really realized the magnitude of of and the seriousness and severity of of the situation that she's actually in with Mm -hmm. these people I mean she would have known that Milo was in prison of course but she wouldn't have known the severity of it until she went to Kingstown until she kind of spoiler alert gets beat up that's when everything kind of shifts for her and she realizes Mm -hmm. that she's in real danger we you know as the audience have a sense that there's this young girl we know that at some point in the series it's revealed that she has been with really high profile political people American Mm -hmm. politicians um We know that there's this Russian man in jail who is sent for her. And we know that pretty quickly in the series, Jeremy Jeremy Renner's character sort of takes her under his wing, I would say. And although she's been sent to be his, you know, a sex worker, as you call it, um, their relationship changes. Yeah, I think he really... I mean, I don't want to speak for Jeremy because I think there's been... We've had... Not opposing opinions, but we've we each had our own opinions about uh, you know our characters and the dynamic and things like that. Um, yeah. But I, for me, I kind of feel like at the start he's kind of like fuck this girl, you know. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> um, little known fact: you can swear on oh, little known yeah. fact. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I ask that in every interview because I just end up swearing. I'm I like, know. Oh. I know. Well, that's um, their problem. They can bleep if yes, they need to bleep. You need um, to be uncensored. um so yeah so um I think at the start Jeremy's character really doesn't want anything to do with her but then you know you can't deny that she is in a she's a vulnerable she's a she's a woman in a town full of really dangerous men I think he starts to feel a responsibility for her and then when he sees what there was a lot of awful things that were cut from episode from episode seven okay yeah so it's uh, there was it, even more. There was even more, which is why they probably cut it, you know. Okay. And so Jeremy saw. But you still had it. to do it. We still had to do it. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. Um, it was. It was hard seeing that. <laughs> I didn't know until I watched the episode that the stuff hadn't been cut, and I was like, oh. Oh, we we shot that, <laughs> which is always going to happen, you know. And I really completely understand the choice to 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 cut it, but you know, she goes through some really awful stuff, and and Jeremy goes into the house and sees what's kind of happened to her, and and I think he really feels a responsibility in a way towards the end. And I would hope slowly starts to like her a bit more and sees her as human instead of a weapon to be used against him. There's so much that is asked of you in this show. I mean, when you talk about 
um, your modeling career to a certain degree anesthetizing you to certain uncomfortable situations that maybe you shouldn't have been anesthetized to, right? It sounds like your takeaway is actually that was all not okay and I wasn't protected. Um, Yet there are still demands of the role. And for people who haven't seen the show yet, there's, there's just a lot of brutal things that happen to Iris, who is the character that Emma plays in this town that's kind of filled with a lot of bad guys who are mm. using Iris, your character, as as a pawn in a game that they're playing, even if you don't even always know what the game is, um, or if no one even knows what the game <laughs> is. Um, but you still had to sort of do it. And I want, you know, you talked about having a coach um, and obviously the idea that you were so clear about wanting to leave modeling and and finding your way toward someone who can help you. You got obviously just the most incredible, you just have such incredible instincts. And it sounds like that's what Taylor saw immediately, that even without the years of experience, there's this um, intuitive sense of how to do what you do, um, which is very exciting. Um, but then, you know, you're also being asked to do things the minute someone calls action that are, are really emotionally raw. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know if it says in the script, she cries here or, you know, whatever, but there are certain demands that an expectation. So do you have, sorry, this is such a long question, but do you have, um, someone on set with you? Are you working on this stuff? alone in your, I don't know if you were in a hotel the whole time you shot this thing, wherever you're living, like, how are you kind of figuring it out? I don't know how much rehearsal you guys get. You're shooting during a pandemic, some of this stuff. So it just must all be very complicated. Yeah. It, um, it was, it only really got hard about halfway through because it, you know, it was when all the dark stuff started to come and I, and I just remember, I had this monologue and it felt like really the first time that I'd spoken and, uh, you know, I'd had a scene with Jeremy in episode four, but then it was just this big monologue at the end of episode eight, which was like the first thing that we really shot for Iris. And Mm -hmm. I broke on that day in a good way. I think as cliche as it sounds, I felt like I needed to emotionally break for it to kind of be authentic. And um, I... You know, I'd bring my friend, I'd get home at 2 a.m. or something, and I, my friend would still be awake in England, and I would just say, can I just ring you real quick? And oftentimes, I would just kind of break down on the phone. I'd be like, I don't really know why I'm crying, and it was just a really sensitive time for me. But I had, there was a producer, because like I said, like people were kind of in and out of this show, and because um, it was like a COVID hotspot, we couldn't have set visits, and I wouldn't have wanted to kind of have you know my team there or anything like that I didn't feel like that was necessary but there was a producer called Michael Friedman who's kind of Taylor Sheridan's producing partner and has been with him for a very long time from the start I think he's done Yellowstone with him and anyway Michael was my constant there as well he really kind of we'd you know we'd we'd be in closed sets and I'd be like in the bath naked and I would be about to go and I'd be like where's Michael could someone just get Michael and just be like damn I wish Taylor was here and Michael would be like well use it Emma use it and he would just come and hold my hand and in between takes I'd be like kind of crying on the street smoking a cigarette (laughs) he'd just be he'd just hug me and I had people on set that really supported me 
Um, but at the same time, you know, it was, it was like, I had a job to do and I would kind of, well, I, I, what I learned a lot on this set was just feeling like I could take up space and ask for things and not be a diva, which is something that I think about a lot, feeling like a diva in this industry. And it's really just me asking for my chair to be sat in a private tent. So I don't have to speak with, you know, sometimes I'd love to speak with, uh, you know, the day, day players and the entire cast. But some days when it's, when I'm about to shoot something really heavy, I couldn't do that and I wanted to be alone. And so it was just reminding, learning that I could ask for those things as a new newcomer, because no one really knew who I was on set. No one knew who I was. I think everyone, no one reads the, the crew, don't read the script. So they didn't know if I was there for the day or if I was there for five months. And I think at the, at the end, it felt like I was loved and supported, but at the start, it was definitely trying to find my way and, and kind of demand my space and uh, create like a safe space for myself. But um, I had good support. Yeah. Did they have, you know, there's this new thing that didn't exist when I first started, but it's been on the last couple of shows that I've done. If I've had um, quote unquote intimate kinds of things to do. And so they now have, <clears throat> pardon me, intimacy coaches. Yeah. Um, so was that a part of your set? Because talk about vulnerable, intimate yeah. moments. And, and I know that like, there were times where my co-star and I wanted that and we're sort mm -hmm. of, and then there were times where we are like, you like, no. so appreciate your being here, but no, actually we're good. I'm yeah, not uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I no I completely agree and I think it's um it's like going back to that modeling thing it's like you know sometimes people are okay with changing but you always need to have the option of like addressing you know it's that you've always yeah. got to have the option and so yeah we had an intimacy coordinator but it's funny because my first day on set we we didn't have one and my first day on set was all the strip club stuff so literally my first ever day um acting was being like naked in front of like 30 background and um I was okay with it like she she emailed me and we we always had communication so that wasn't anyone's like real fault um but I I kind of I didn't really care I think the only time that I really needed that intimacy coordinator was when I wanted to check that the rest of the cast was okay with my nudity because I think that's what people forget as well is if someone's I'm saying, yeah, I don't want to wear the sticker because we're in a bath and it, I just would rather be naked. I, yeah. You should still make sure that the other cast members are okay with Interesting. that. Interesting, right. So, I think um, we do forget that. Yeah. yeah. There's so much that has been asked of you. And you said earlier that Diane, you know, in a makeup trailer, even if you guys weren't doing scenes together, sort of had some advice. Is there anything that you can share? Because she's someone we all look mm. up to and admire she's so much yeah yeah and <laughs> everything she does I'm like okay she's in mayor of Kingstown she's in Hannah and her sister she's in Edward Scissorhands like I've seen mm -hmm. her on Broadway like her breath and scope of characters that she's taken on and how different they all are but just like you said like the power and the integrity even though I don't think I've ever heard her yell in character no. right like there's this <laughs> Calm but that's even centered. scarier than yeah. sometimes that's <laughs> exactly. even like that's more powerful right that's, that's what my kids thinking. always say they're not scared when I'm yelling at them they're yeah. scared when I'm quiet I'm like because oh, I think it's that thing like you only need to yell when you've not got power right yeah. when you've got all the power in a scene you're just like calm yeah. and that's what's the scary thing yeah. but yeah no, she kind of gave I mean the one of the main things I remember is her saying you have to wipe your shoes before a scene 
and after a scene. And um, that was literally. Really yeah, I mean, just <laughs> I think it was her kind of saying, you know, all the shit you've got going on. <laughs> Forget about that when you come in, when you walk through the door. Oh my god, like, Emma! The- I was literally like, no, that's what I'm gonna you know, do. I've been I'm gonna wipe my shoes. That's what I like. Yeah. All these years, I've not wiped my shoes on set. God damn. Yes. Oh my god! I thought it was um, like, and you tap your lamp three times. Um, <laughs> right, metaphors, girl. Yes, metaphor. metaphor. Got it. Um, before I let you go, and I can't wait to have you back and talk more. Oh, me too. Right? And what you're producing, we're going to have you on when that happens. Yes. Oh, please. Um, of course. Can you just share a little known fact about yourself? Um, Oh, oh, okay. A little known fact. Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind is that I tweeted it the other day, actually. Not many people may know this, but I have a Build-A-Bear and I called it Tom Hiddleston. Um, and there's no context there. That's that's the little known fact about me. <laughs> I honestly... You knew, you knew yeah. what the future was going to bring. <laughs> I know. Um, Tom Hiddleston. Just love that man. So I had to name a bear after him. That's just, I'm sure that's the most ridiculous little known fact anyone has ever told When do you me. think you built that bear? Oh, last year. <laughs> Not like when you were a little girl. No, no, no. I just developed a big obsession with Loki and then Tom Hiddleston. Um, and I also had a, this is so funny. I don't think Jeremy knows this because I never dared wear it. But I um, I have a Chris Evans t-shirt. And uh, I had a meeting with Chris Evans' agent last year when I was taking all these meetings. And yeah. I showed up in the Chris Evans t-shirt, who's, you know, his agent. Um, and <laughs> I, I took it to set, but I never dared wear it in front of Jeremy because I thought he'd be freaked out that I'm wearing his friends on his t-shirts. <laughs> but I just love Avengers, man. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, Emma Laird, I wish you just all great things. And thank you for being so open and honest and wonderful. And and, um, I really appreciate you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I'm a fan. I've been listening to the podcasts all week. You're oh, wonderful. So it was such, such a pleasure. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out, and I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa.